Welcome to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormick. Good afternoon and welcome to the special edition of the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 15 years of profiling IT mission programs in the federal government. This is our eighth annual Profiles in Excellence program, which will be coming to you from the virtual studios of WTOP and the Federal News Network. I'm Luke McCormack, and during today's show, we will discuss IT program success stories at numerous government agencies and hear from the key leaders making them happen. With me on today's show are Maria Rote, U.S. Federal Deputy Chief Information Officer at OMB, Karen Evans, Chief Information Officer at the Department of Homeland Security, Jim Jaffer, Assistant Secretary of IT and Chief Information Officer at Department of Veterans Affairs, Rocky Campioni, Chief Information Officer, Department of Energy, Nick Saki, Federal Principal Engineer, Pure Storage, Scott Crowder, Chief Information Officer, BMC Software, and Greg Ostrowski, Regional Chief Technology Officer at AppDynamics. All right, well, it's been one heck of a year, and I was thinking to myself this morning, Maria, that if we had two more CIOs, we could have a council here. Um, <clears throat> wanted to start with you and just ask you, uh, in particular, uh, give us, uh, you know, a, uh, an example of a program that uh, you want to discuss your best accomplishment, mission success, and just sort of outline, you know, your initials and goals and strategies and how you've achieved that success this year. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Luke. Uh, it, this year has just really been an incredible year, and it's been business not as usual for the tech community. CIOs just across the board, they really had to deliver. And when I look across the federal government, you know, the federal government transitioned to telework, and they didn't miss a beat. The CIOs, you know, certainly a shout out to all of them, but the CIOs were responding to telework the increased mission requirements. There was a sense of urgency, resource sharing, and that responding to guidance almost daily. So when I step back and I look at mission program success, I'm looking across the entire federal government and all these things that were happening concurrently, right? The telework, responding to the CARES Act, and really um, uh, flipping over to being able to deliver digitally. And, and this was really the success of the investments over the last several years in you know just modern infrastructure zero trust networks and all that flexibility and scalability of the cloud-based solutions and it really gave the cios the ability to to configure those commercial platforms reusable services and you saw how fast and how quickly the federal government flipped over not just to telework and serving their employees that 2.1 million you know workforce but also the American public across the board. The, the cross-government collaboration was remarkable, right? The information sharing, the resource sharing, the need to collaborate. And this was not just um, across the federal government, it was vertical with the states as well. And that was data sharing, information sharing across the board, and it was really um, uh, again, incredible to see that across the federal government and how everything that was done over the last, you know, several years was built on, built on, and we were able to just flip over with agencies taking advantage of zero trust networks and, and all of those capabilities, you know, virtual desktops, all of that. And I really think that that big success is not only just that transition, but being able to support the mission concurrently 
and being digital to support the American public. I know my colleagues here, Rocky and, and, and Jim and Gary, they will talk about a lot of the efforts that they did. And it was just incredible to see. And I want to say that the CIO Council really came together and they identified not only what is, was working now, but where we need to go in the future. So I can't say enough about the CIOs across the federal government and the technology leadership that really made the response happen this year. Uh, Karen, how about you over at Department of Homeland Security? You all uh, uh, had a whole bunch of activity going on and still do to this day and certainly will tomorrow. And uh, why don't you give us uh, an example of the, what you would consider your best accomplishment there? Well, I would really like to um, build upon the things that Maria said. Coming in, I came in right in the middle of the pandemic. So it was wonderful to start a job, probably first time in all of our CIO careers, where I've started a job where people aren't telling you, although I did get a few phone calls from the secretary's office, but they are telling you about the wonderful ability that they are being able to still perform their jobs without missing a beat. And it was due to the efforts of the CIO and the CIO staff. So this is to Maria's point about all the initiatives that, you know, Luke, under your leadership, and then have uh, continued on about the network modernization, how to move to cloud first, the data center consolidations, making those applications available. The department never missed a beat. It never shut down. It never missed its mission. And it was wonderful to come in when people are saying, hey, if it wasn't for the CIO shop being able to pivot and, and be able to provide our workforce what they needed to go virtual, we wouldn't still be working. And so that is a unique point in time that people really then really understand what we meant by network modernization, what we meant by cloud first, what we meant by um, why you had to do certain things in order to be able to really leverage the capabilities. So that was really very exciting. But if I had to zero in on one particular initiative that the department started that I think was really wonderful and helps us in this new environment, is the network operations and security center. So it's the consolidation, we call it the NOS, but it's the consolidation of both security operations center. So it's the optimization and looking at all of that across the board within the components, but also making sure that we can continue to run 24 by 7, 365. So we've combined our network operations center and our security operations center and really have evolved the, the services that, that the department is providing because we really have now changed the threat landscape of what the department has to deal with. And Maria hit on this a little bit with the zero trust networks, but we really do need to keep ourselves operational and the traditional model of when an incident happens and you shut down a service, the department can't do that. So we're running more and more um, like a utility is the easiest way to explain it. You have to keep all the services running while you are analyzing what, what are the threats? What is that security incident? What is happening? I have to work directly with CISA, with our intelligence community, with our components, so that we can make sure that we are staying operational and our services don't miss a beat. So that had started prior before uh, actually shifting to a total virtual uh, environment, but we haven't 
um, stop the implementation. We're continuing on the network assessments and the security operations centers assessments have been completed. And so the department is offering cybersecurity service provider services. We are now a service provider and you either get it from us or from one of the other uh, service providers that we're authorizing within the department. And that is how we are optimizing our security capabilities and our network capabilities. So I, I think that that is really the next evolution of what the department has to do, and we have accelerated that implementation. Jim, how about over at Veterans Affairs? I know there's a whole bunch of activity going on over there, everything from all the modernization activity that you all are doing to continue on this journey of you know, providing that, uh, that promise to the veterans, et cetera, and all the other stuff you're doing with the, uh, the cemeteries, et cetera. Um, why don't you highlight uh, you know, sort of a specific area that you'd like to, to put a spotlight on for uh, an accomplishment for this year? Yeah, sure, Luke, thanks. And uh, great to join all my, my fellow colleagues here this morning. Um, I guess the first thing I'd say is one of my favorite sayings is luck is where preparedness meets opportunity, or in this case, where it meets a threat. Um, and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, sometimes you'd rather be lucky than good, but I think part of that, you know, goes hand in hand. We certainly, uh, like a lot of other federal agencies, we're on our modernization journey. Uh, as I've stressed with the department, if we hadn't done the things we've done in the past two to three years, um, we, there's no way we would have weathered uh, this pandemic. And so I think it was, I think it was about thinking differently. You know, uh, one of our senior leaders said, you know, the whole notion of a black swan event is nothing in the sum total of your experiences really prepared you to address the challenges you're going to confront. And so, you know, I'll give you a great example of that. I, I remember there was a story about 10 years ago about a secretary uh, in an Eagle Horizon exercise looking at our CSOC director and saying, uh, hey, of the four trust internet connection gateways, can you drop one? And there was an audible gasp in the room that we would drop a tick gateway. We were stress testing in our environment real time in March. We dropped three out of the four gateways to stress test. I mean, and it was, it was, you know, some people consider that sheer insanity. Uh, we did what we had to do to really uh, put the pressure on our gateways, on our infrastructure, and then get those metrics over to our carriers and our infrastructure pro providers, our vendor partners, to make sure that we could do all of the upgrades. Because again, VA was, uh, you know, uh, unlike other agencies, VAs is largely an on-premise agency delivering care benefits mm -hmm. and memorial services. And so this was a major, you know, shift in terms of workforce and, and how we delivered. Um, so I, I would say that was the one thing that I'm, I'm most proud of is how we we're able to quickly stress test, engage with our vendor partners, get those upgrades. And then similar to Karen's story, uh, when folks started kind of trickling back in, especially in D.C. in June, you know, the response was, wow, hey, IT really came through for us, right? You know, almost like a surprise. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, you know, the, the story that I continue to tell in the department is those gains are perishable, right? We need to continue to modernize, continue to upgrade our infrastructure and invest. Um, the other one, I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but I'll, I'll say is also impressed what we did around telehealth. Uh, Pre-pandemic, VHA was doing 2,400 telehealth appointments today a day. Today, we are doing on the order of magnitude of over 40,000. It's about a 1,500% increase. Wow. Again, all of that was supported by IT. Uh, we helped the uh, smaller vendors uh, expand their on-premise infrastructure, and then we doubled it by putting it in the cloud environment. That was all through our team. Uh, and again, really a tremendous effort uh, that, that I think everyone on our side is very proud of. Wow, that, that is impressive. If by my math, that's 38,000 veterans that are, uh, uh, more veterans that are able to uh, uh, receive that type of service uh, sort of real time 
uh, probably within their own uh, homes. And that, that's just incredible. Um, now, you, you made a comment, made a statement, uh, black swan event. Uh, can you describe that to the listening audience just so they know what that is? Sure. I, I can't give you the exact uh, Wikipedia definition, but, you know, it, it's essentially that once in a century pandemic, you know, something you only see in a lifetime, hopefully. Hopefully for us, it's only once in a lifetime, but uh, it's just so differential, catches everybody off guard. Uh, and again, uh, really creates a set of circumstances that uh, are uh, you've never seen before. Rocky, how about over at Department of Energy? Uh, same sort of situation there, right? A lot of modernization activity, a lot of real-time capability, a lot of industrial strength types of things that you all need to keep moving and keep modernizing and ensure that the, the, the capabilities out there for the, uh, the, the energy infrastructure and everything else. So uh, tell us about, uh, you know, what does that look like this year for you? Absolutely. Well, you know, it's, it, it always looks different, but that's what I love about energy. Every day is different. Yeah. Um, no, as you said, you know, we talk about what we're proud of. And I think when we're done and we look back as a department, we're going to be proud of a couple things. We kept the lights on and we helped find a cure. Right. Um, and that's on the mission side. Our PMAs provide 11% of the electricity for the bulk power of the United States of America. And, and PMA our, is what again? Just uh, so power marketing administration. Okay. So Bonneville Power, Western Area Power, Southeastern Power, and Southwestern Area Power. Um, so when we moved to a telework environment, we had to make sure their operation centers could be up and running. We had to make sure that the people who keep the lights on had the ability to work remotely or to work where, uh, whether it was on premises in a safe environment because everybody else was out working remotely or working remotely to keep the lights on. We had to make sure that our national labs you know, some of the greatest scientific minds in the world had the ability to shift their focus to working on understanding the virus, uh, understanding vaccines, and uh, helping kind of the country as a whole kind of uh, marshal our resources to kind of help find a cure. But we did that, and I think I'm going to, there's a common theme here. We did that because of the work we've done over the last three years. So what am I proud of this year? Those are great accomplishments when we look back. But what am I proud of? I'm proud of the preparedness. I'm proud of what we had done for the last three years um, to make sure we could get there. And it's the same theme that I think Karen talked about and Jim talked about of what were we doing to modernize? So that when it happened, I'm not proud of the two or three weeks where uh, kind of my team and the IT folks all across the department were rapidly getting out laptops, rapidly getting out RSA tokens, whatever it is to allow people to telework. I'm proud that the foundation was there so that we could telework. I'm also proud that once we were up and running, we didn't just say, okay, great job and move on. We kept moving. We kept accomplishing what our mission was. And that kind of includes everything I, I've talked about. How do we reduce the barriers to innovation, right? I call it reducing the friction to innovation, but how do we reduce those barriers? So we kept with the normal what I call day-to-day -day things of um, improving how we do ATOs, uh, authorizations uh, to, to, to operate, um, kind of rolling out a rapid ATO process so that we could rapidly move innovations out there as we introduce new, te new technologies, but still be secure. I'm proud of new contracts that we put out, like enterprise agreements. Um, the latest one was with Google for kind of Google Cloud so that we could roll out innovative technologies rapidly roll out innovative technologies and that procurement be an issue, right? Um, and within that, you know, that we even had, um, we even had uh, aspects of it that allowed for in times of need, 
we can take uh, we can get some free compute for scientific computing. So we even built in the ability. So not only do we rapidly get a contract, rapidly deploy the technology, but we also have built in ways that uh, that we can help and kind of fight the, the virus within that. I'm also proud of just some of the day to day you know, other day to day things. We released our we went full operational capability with our big data platform. Um, so how do we do an how do we analyze cybersecurity data from across the department so that we can better do analysis and better protect ourselves. Um, so a lot of these were just kind of day-to-day -day things that of course I'm proud that we went to rapid telework. Of course I'm proud that, you know, I'm very proud of the department for helping to keep the lights on so that the VA hospitals have electricity so that, you know, other first responders can go and do their job. I'm also proud of, you know, what we're doing to help understand the virus and help find a cure. I'm proud of the preparation we've done, but it's just, it's, and it's the people that we work with. So all in all, it's, you know, I, you know, sometimes I say I'm bursting with pride. I love the department. I love the people that we work with. I love that we have a sense of mission. And when you have that kind of combination and then the leadership of the secretary to kind of marshal that in the right direction, you can accomplish great things. And over the last year, I think within our office, we've accomplished some great things as a department, as a team, we've accomplished even more. And when we write the history kind of a couple of years back and we look back, I think that the Department of Energy is gonna look really, is gonna come out uh, looking really well um, for how we've helped respond to this and how we help keep the American people uh, healthy and safe and as much as possible living a normal lives because we have electricity and we have the ability to, uh, to get our day jobs done. We're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Meeting compulsory demands for stable, secure, robust technology services requires a multi-cloud approach, from enabling self-service while ensuring endpoint compliance to increasing operational efficiency while protecting data and privacy. Strategic cloud migration and comprehensive hybrid cloud management will help federal organizations and agencies evolve to their ideal future state, an autonomous digital enterprise. To learn more about how BMC can help your agency execute on strategies for cost control, security, and innovation, visit bmc.com slash public sector. AppDynamics, part of Cisco, helps government agencies proactively manage and optimize application performance. Consistently recognized as an industry leader in APM, AppDynamics provides critical end-to-end -end visibility into complex and distributed application environments. With AppDynamics, you can improve mission outcomes by quickly pinpointing issues and performance bottlenecks with topology mapping and diagnostic data. Learn more at appdynamics.com government. Pure Storage is changing the government's IT experience. Pure helps customers fully leverage their data to meet their mission, all while reducing IT costs and complexity. And with Airy, Pure's AI-ready solution, powered by FlashBlade Storage and NVIDIA DGX servers, agencies get a simple, fast, future-proof and expandable infrastructure capable of meeting AI demands at any scale and without downtime. To learn more, visit purestorage.com AI. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about uh, Profiles in Excellence 2020. Scott, let me jump it over to you. I'd like to you to discuss uh, your best accomplishments. You guys have a, a very unique situation there. You know, you striped across a lot of federal agencies. I'd like you to point out program success that you've seen in one of these agencies that you'd like to uh, spotlight for us that has been accomplished this year. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things. So, you know, many of you have talked about 
uh, sort of, you know, how, how you were able to survive through the COVID-19 and really shutting off uh, work from home or shutting, you know, turning work from home on, um, which was really a big accomplishment for us uh, as an IT team. Uh, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, we, we got the call on March 12th, send everybody home, 6,000 employees are gone. Uh, working from home, working with the security and things like that. Um, so, you know, I, I can't say, you know, how important it is for us to all have these types of disaster preparedness plans and actually make them work. I would, I would say with regards to, uh, you know, how we're working with various federal agencies and, and public sector agencies, you know, one of the things that we've been able to accomplish is really a provisional authorization on IL-4. Uh, you know, which is really going to make a big deal for anybody that's wanting to use our ITSM uh, platforms and any other products that uh, that really, you know, are beneficial to the federal and public sector uh, markets. Um, you know, many of you use our products uh, with regards to Control M, ITSM, and, and many of the automation capabilities that we have. Um, so, you know, it, it's hard to highlight a specific um, project, but I would say that this is a milestone for BMC and really um, it, it's going to take us to the next level, you know, in working with the federal government, really enabling um, all of the different agencies uh, with regards to our, our solutions. Greg, let me, let me throw it over to you. Uh, you all play, a, uh, once again, a key role in it as, as the, uh, the various CIOs are describing these capabilities that they've been able to roll out and uh, not only to enable sort of this new operating environment, but enable, you know, all the capability on top of that operating environment. You guys play a big role in that. I'd like you to just uh, give us a highlight of, of an agency that uh, you'd like to highlight and shine a spotlight on for us. Yeah, thanks, Luke. And uh, really honored to be on the program today. You know, one thing I'd like to do is really kind of focus on the, the challenge in the industry that we go after. And you, and you look at the, the world we live in today, Software and applications is really the way that drives the world, right? So if you start thinking about how our daily lives, both professionally and personally, it's all based on software and applications. And the key part here is that these applications have to be very easy to use. They have to be very, uh, they have to perform at, at top-notch capabilities of what the user is expecting, and it has to be available 24-7 a day. So you think about, you think about the, the application on the user side, you look at, the way IT has transformed over the last decade. You think 10 years ago, we, we had a single data center that everything was running in, we had control over. You started to introduce cloud services and now you started to get this complex architecture for the application space. So on one hand, you have a very simple to use application. On the other hand, you now have a, a, an environment or an IT department or that, is, that is running hybrid, on-premise, some cloud, maybe full cloud. But the challenge to be able to figure out what's going wrong with these applications has gone up tremendously. So where you know, AppDynamics has been helping our, uh, the agencies, you know, a lot of folks on the call today too, is around giving you that, that full stack visibility or observability of the application stack so that you can see every step along the way where there's a challenge with that particular app. You know, the other piece too is you know, as the pandemic hit, uh, you know, software really helped us get through the pandemic or, or working through the pandemic for that matter. But the, uh, the whole idea is here that folks are being, have a tremendous amount of pressure and they need to have that context of what's going on wrong with their applications. So by AppDynamics giving that full stack observability, 
enables our, our agencies to be able to go and quickly define and find out root cause of the application issue, be able to resolve it many cases before the end user population starts to see that there's an issue with the application. And then also knocking down the silos within IT so that you know, traditionally folks would, would focus only on the network or only on the infrastructure or only on the database. But by giving that full uh, sense of truth to be able to lower the, the mean time to resolution is really where we've been helping our agencies to, to succeed with their mission. Nick, let's throw it over to you. Pure storage, same situation there. Uh, lots of capability out there that are being enabled uh, to, to, to sort of allow us to operate in this, uh, this new model, if you will, this certainly cloud smart model. Uh, give us an example of something you'd like to highlight there. Sure. I think that, uh, you know, over the course of the past year, well, I want to thank every CIO and leader on this call for your tremendous efforts and support of the United States during this extraordinary time. Um, and Jim, as a veteran and customer of yours, I'm deeply pleased to see the continued improvement on the evolution of the customer facing services support of the VA's digital services. It's, it's been cool to watch and fun to use. It's working. Um, we saw, you know, last year um, was proof of the concept that, you know, what happens when preparedness meets opportunity and it's the culmination of, you know, as some have said previously, about 20 years worth of work. You know, there's four things that kind of drive organizational dynamics in the IT space and it's, you know, people, process, policy, and technology. And technology is easy, uh, but the policies and the thought processes of the, the leaders and the staffs uh, in terms of the comfort and adopting and the ability to adopt uh, external services and utility computing services and just making that de rigueur has been hugely transformational. And then having the acquisition vehicles necessary to be able to move the money, also incredibly important. And I think one of the fundamental things that drove our comfort in doing that in government and, and from the, the vendor side, understanding what we had to deliver uh, was FedRAMP. So if we can provide commercial services that meet the government security criteria, it solves a huge problem in terms of adoption. Now, the other thing that we saw was, um, you know, uh, I want to I want to give a very special shout out in the two key areas that, that we uh, we were able to support the government, but most especially the agencies, uh, the Department of Energy has been undergoing a, tre a tremendous uh, infrastructure transformation, particularly out in the national laboratories. And we saw an adoption and, a and an insertion of a complete enterprise data center uh, infrastructure at DOE in about six weeks. And we're talking, a, you know, multiple dozen petabytes worth of storage that went in and out, the, the net effect of which was a 90% reduction in power space and cooling consumption, a 10x improvement in their overall performance and service efficiency, and the elimination of all of their sustainment technical debt for that infrastructure. It was breathtaking. In my experience, that takes 18 to 36 months to accomplish. And the Sandia National Labs team did it in less than three weeks. So it was, you know, 10 racks worth of equipment removed, one rack of equipment in place, and a sudden and extraordinary improvement in the operational services at a critical time for the department as they were resourcing not only, obviously, their usual scientific and energy research, but uh, making themselves available for the pursuit of COVID solutions and virology and leverage, you know, enabling other agencies to leverage their extraordinary supercomputing capability um, to solve an immediate emergency challenge for the United States. So that was number one. The second one, and I'm going to cheat because this was a tie. The Department of the Navy about two years ago embarked on a, 
endeavor to create an artificial intelligence as a service platform at Naval Surface Warfare Crane. And it was specifically focused around uh, AI and cybersecurity applications. But what they did was rather than keep that in-house and, and you know, hug their data silo, they released it on a service catalog to the, the entire Department of the Navy. And the catalog is actually accessible by the entire DOD. So they, they set themselves up as an AI and machine learning ops as a service component uh, that the entire DOD can leverage, but very importantly for the DOD, on their own networks. So using their own data on their own networks, there's a, there's a tremendous willingness and growing willingness across the departments to share the technology investments that they're making and make them available as a service to other components and other agencies. And that, that's really cool because my theory has long been that the government's probably the largest cloud in the world. And now you're starting to see the government agencies act like service providers, even within the U.S. government's own infrastructure. Very as refreshing well as, to see that. I mean, yeah. it's remarkable. I'm, 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 uh, I, I can't tell you how pleased I am to, to hear these stories. Well, I want to uh, roll over into a, a different type of question. I've been uh, really looking forward to this. And, uh, and this, is, uh, this is about leadership, right? And I'm, Rocky, I'm going to start with you. As a leader in your agency, right, as an executive of the agency there, and uh, can you just discuss, you know, sort of leading through this situation that you were in, right? A lot of uncertainty, particularly in the beginning with your employees, your own personal situation, all the, all the uh, capability that you had to have available for the entire energy sector, right, et cetera. You know, what, what does that look like? And then what were you leaning on most? What did you find yourself? Where did you find the strength and, you know, the, 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 the things that you found yourself sort of leaning on the most? Uh, you know, if you say what I'm leaning on the most are the personal answer and then there's the professional answer so of course you know family you know community um and, and and that type of thing is what you really lean on day to day but when you talk about professionally what do you lean on what do you lean on to lead people um and it starts with i used to work for a gentleman named secretary bodman uh department of energy it's about 2007 and 8 and he had his 10 guiding principles um and, and i came in and i talked about my guiding principles but the one that always um, sticks out is, well, there's two of them. One, treat everyone with dignity and respect. And the other one is, in, in the end, always do the right thing. But you rely on kind of your guiding principles. And those are some of them. When I, when I talk to my team, it's, I'm a management by walking around guy. I like to walk the halls and I like to say hi to people. Can't do that right now. Um, right. So you kind of do that by, I, I call it the random phone call, um, calling the GS 13 or 14 in the middle of the day and saying, how you doing? What's going on? What works? What doesn't? Um, but, but really what that's all about is you care about people, right? And so I, I talk to the team a lot when you talk about leadership in this environment where people are working hard and people are, are kind of focusing on the mission. Um, you know, I, I always say to people, look, uh, caring about people is not in our professional it's not in our professional PD, right? Um, you know, no one has, you know, maintain the network, you know, ensure cybersecurity, care about people, right? It doesn't say that in your PD. I go, but it is our, it isn't our PD for life, right? As a member of the human race, we need to care about people. So uh, tell everyone, check in on each other as we work remotely. You're not seeing them every day. If you know somebody is living alone, especially in the early days of quarantine, make sure we check in on them. Uh, so it was a lot of focusing on people, focusing on caring about one another. And um, I know it might sound a little kumbaya, but it, it is what it is, right? Uh, and then, as always, when you get on the call, it's, you make sure everyone focuses on the mission. Um, 
but none of that gets done without, you know, just the the day-to-day human kind of interactions and, and saying, how are you doing? What can we do to help? And just checking in. Jim, how about you? Same question. You know, you, again, you had to sort of pull on that strength and uh, sort of work your way through all this uncertainty. Well, what'd you find yourself doing uh, in regards to sort of uh, leading through that uncertainty and unknown? Part of it's just getting organized, right? And we, we certainly learned it with Mission Act last year. It's, and I think uh, one of our colleagues here mentioned up front is, you know, uh, you, we used a team of teams approach, right? Uh, and, and, you know, getting, uh, getting organized across 10 different scrum teams. So, you know, kind of on the organizational side, put someone in charge, focus the efforts, uh, put the teams in, in, in scrum and work stream format, um, you know, meet repetitively throughout the day. Uh, you know, uh, so, so I think, again, we, we fell back on that best practice and we were able to deliver fast in terms of uh, the capabilities that the department needs. I, th- I think the other thing, too, is, right, it's very easy uh, for us to look back retrospectively here on the past eight months and then, you know, kind of pop the champagne cork a little bit. But, you know, there were some pretty scary times back there in March and April, I think, for a lot of folks. Uh, you know, I was I was certainly stressing out over how am I going to provision an environment where only about sixty thousand people are teleworking and be prepared to support up to four hundred thousand, right? And so part of it too, though, is uh, you know caring for our teams. A lot easier said than done. You know, uh, a lot of IT professionals are able to uh, go to remote work. Uh, Thirty-one hundred of our eight thousand workforce in OIT um, is in end-user operations. They are supporting the 170 medical centers, the 56 benefits regional offices, and the 140 cemeteries. They can't go home. They were on the front line. I tell you what, we had uh, understandably scared uh, staff members, uh, especially in the early days of COVID. So we did everything we could to build and maintain that confidence. You know, again, uh, for the military guys out, out here and gals, you know, it's you know, battlefield circulation. That's why I'm in St. Petersburg today to to do the town hall and meet face to face with both the business and our teammates. But, but again, building that confidence, showing that resilience, uh, and then working through the problem sets, you know, on that very agile and, and scrum methodology, that team of teams approach. Karen, how about you? Um, what, what, what did you lean on there, right? You're actually in a unique situation. You're actually in two different departments during this process at the beginning of it and certainly now. So I, I appreciate uh, the comments that are coming from my, my uh, colleagues here because it is about the people. So I think to your point, Luke, it's a unique situation for myself coming into a virtual environment and then building the team approach in a virtual environment and being a new leader and trying to have that consistency and work at the CXO level and up right, then working down with the other component CIOs and then working within my own organization. So it is about the people, and I think Rocky said it uh, multiple times, but, you know, it's family first, and that was a principle that we talked about and that I made sure that we reinforced, and that's reinforced by our leadership from the secretary all the way down. And so having that flexibility because of the environment that we're in and, and not saying, oh, people have to come to work. So I think what is also unique about this is um, – the people who had a transition because they were physically on-prem, when you come into a virtual environment like myself, and I had been working 10 years 
already out. And so working on initiatives, which by the way, you know, kudos to you, sir, for being the US Cyber Challenge lead, right? You're working already in a virtual environment. And so bringing those skill sets and bringing them in to get the team going, the technology allows you, you're not constrained by a conference room anymore. So some of these meetings that you normally would just have your XDs on or the, you know, SESs or just the CIOs, you can expand out so that people are hearing from you personally and not uh, what I call whisper down the lane translations, right? And so they get to hear the information directly. So we have been, normally they would have all hands quarterly, we're having them monthly and our CXOs are actively participating in each other's all hands meeting. And that partnership um, in this virtual environment really uh, sends a clear message out to all the workforce uh, because Rocky hit that piece also is all the services that DHS has like checking on somebody who you know is by themselves or for example my team has to travel with the secretary making sure that they have the right resources and that there is a surveillance program in place with them because they go back to their families and so do we have the right medical program in place for them and that, you know, when one of them tests positive, that we can rotate people through and readjusting our resources for those types of things. So those were the first things that I had to put in place. But there are benefits because they get to hear from you and you can expand out how you're interacting with the workforce in a virtual environment. We're going to take another short break and we're going to be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Pure Storage is changing the government's IT experience. Pure helps customers fully leverage their data to meet their mission, all while reducing IT costs and complexity. And with Aerie, Pure's AI-ready solution, powered by FlashBlade Storage and NVIDIA DGX servers, agencies get a simple, fast, future-proof and expandable infrastructure capable of meeting AI demands at any scale and without downtime. To learn more, visit purestorage.com AI. Meeting compulsory demands for stable, secure, robust technology services requires a multi-cloud approach, from enabling self-service while ensuring endpoint compliance to increasing operational efficiency while protecting data and privacy. Strategic cloud migration and comprehensive hybrid cloud management will help federal organizations and agencies evolve to their ideal future state, an autonomous digital enterprise. To learn more about how BMC can help your agency execute on strategies for cost control, security, and innovation, Visit bmc.com slash public sector. AppDynamics, part of Cisco, helps government agencies proactively manage and optimize application performance. Consistently recognized as an industry leader in APM, AppDynamics provides critical end-to-end -end visibility into complex and distributed application environments. With AppDynamics, you can improve mission outcomes by quickly pinpointing issues and performance bottlenecks, with topology mapping and diagnostic data. Learn more at appdynamics.com slash government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio. We're talking profiles and excellence 2020. We were talking about leadership and sort of the, uh, the leadership tenets that you were drawing upon as we embarked on this very uncertain and unknown journey. Maria, I'm going to throw it over to you. And so what did you find yourself sort of leaning on and, uh, and tying to most as you sort of work through this uncertainty, certainly at the, uh, 
the environment that you were uh, operating at, you know, across the interagency, et cetera, must have been daunting. I'm sure it still is. Yeah, thanks, Luke. You know, um, this is really where I want to, again, acknowledge the workforce in the federal government. You know, Rocky said earlier when we were talking, every day is different, and this year has been a year of change, right? But what that change did with the workforce, it gave us that opportunity to really innovate and challenge the norms and status quo that we have now, right? So the workforce, and I'm not talking about the CIOs, CFOs, and the leadership, but it was the workforce that really helped get the bureaucracy and the red tape out of the way, reduce those barriers to meet the mission. And, and leaning on that for workforce was just so critical um, because it wasn't just flipping to telework, it was uh, all those additional requirements from the CARES Act and maintaining that momentum even through all this change. I will tell you that while I was at the SBA, right, the CARES Act came through, we had days to respond to the requirements and those requirements were changing sometimes daily. And it was that workforce that rolled out portals within days, was able to respond to the PPP loans, the idle grants, and they worked hours, overnighters, and projects that we had planned later in the year everything moved to the left and we accelerated. And this is really leaning on a staff that can respond to that change and, and to that innovation. And you saw this across the federal government, that innovation, yet we were still staying secure and being incredibly responsive while at the same time we were just getting that red tape and the bureaucracy out of the way. And I think that's critically important in acknowledging that flexibility and, and that that ability to innovate and be creative and respond, even while you're flipping over to telework, the entire federal government, and responding to all those requirements. So I think leaning on the federal workforce that, that responded to the need to change and innovate and be creative and really address the mission, not five months from now, but within the next 24 hours. All right, well, we're gonna start talking about priorities. We're gonna start with you, Greg, over at App Dynamics, and we want you to highlight, point out, you know, what are your top two priorities over the next year? Obviously, the, the main priority is always to ensure that we have successful missions with our agencies that we work with, but, you know, when you start looking at that application space, and I talked about the observability side of things, we totally recognize that there's, there's bigger challenges in the, in the industry beside one specific tool to be able to fix things. So by opening our platform and being able to drive innovation from a automated fashion is the direction that we're, we're moving. And, and that's our, one of our top priorities. Because if you think about it, as things become more and more complex and agencies need to innovate, they need to be able to drive you know, faster uh, application adoption or faster features, Having that area of troubleshooting applications needs to be an automated fashion. It needs to have things happen quickly. So we've done things where we can start to integrate network metrics, application metrics, and then build automation on the, uh, on the um, you know, auto-correcting side so that folks can move forward with innovation. And that's really, you know, number one priority is to, to focus on that area. Number two is to ensure that we provide product sets that are going to be future-proof. You, know, you saw last decade move heavily into the cloud. What's the next decade going to bring? We want to make sure that we're front and center in those new advances in technology so that we can provide the right insights and, uh, and um, analytics so that you know, the leaders on this call can make the right decisions with their technology stacks. Scott, how about at BMC Software? Uh, tell yeah. us, uh, what, what's your top two priorities there? Yeah, so 
I think first and foremost, we want to make sure from a human resources perspective, we're, we're very thoughtful about how we're bringing our employees back to work and, and really, you know, making sure that we provide them an environment, uh, you know, as the vaccines come out and things like that, that that's safe, healthy and uh, productive, uh, you know, environment overall. I'll tell you that, uh, you know, there's, you know, I think the pandemic has certainly uh, changed the way that people look at, you know, basically work from home, all of those different things. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's going to be, you know, a big priority for us, making sure our people are healthy and safe. Number, number two, from a technology perspective, um, you know, we've been going through a digital transformation for the past 10 years and shutting down dozens of data centers and modernizing SaaS first approach with regards to our business systems and things like that. But really, you know, BMC in, in the past has operated in silos of different products and really our new vision is what we call the autonomous digital enterprise. And what does that mean? That really, it basically, you know, it takes digital transformation to the next level. So automation everywhere, you know, complete DevOps and agile, you know, development principles, you know, bringing all the data together in a common data, data set and repository, uh, whether it's your monitoring tools, your ITSM tools, uh, your, your automation tools, whatever they might be, whether it's mainframe or distributed, having all of that data uh, readily available for our customers so they can really mine and get, uh, you know, really the insights that they need to, to manage and, and maintain their business. Um, and, and then, you know, just trying to make sure that we're doing everything at, at you know, really an adaptive cybersecurity level uh, as well, you know, providing a transcendent customer experience. So, you know, really taking all of these tools, bring them into this platform uh, type of approach and then offering all of those different, uh, you know, platforms or ADE platform in a SaaS-based environment. Uh, that, you know, really all of the, all of the you know, let's say business that we're seeing now is SaaS. Uh, there's, you know, plenty of on-prem stuff still, but uh, offering all of these different tools and capabilities um, in, in this, uh, in a SaaS environment. Really positioning yourself for that, uh, you know, cloud smart environment, right? That everyone talks about there, uh, super important. That's exactly right, Luke. Hey, Nick, how about over at Pure Storage? Top two priorities there for, for you all uh, going forward over this next year. Yeah, so from, from our perspective, very similar to BMC, and I'm sure this is a, this is a perspective that's being shared uh, really across the industry uh, in response to how customers want to consume um, enterprise infrastructure, applications, and services. We don't, we don't see ourselves as a storage company, but as a data service company. So our focus is really on evolving and to address you know, the full scope of data services and data integration from end to end uh, to deliver what we call a modern data experience. Our customers, especially in the U.S. government, are looking for ways to leverage their data on on-premises and some of the largest infrastructure in the world, and then uh, move that, leverage it, make it available across every infrastructure platform that they can that they can consume. Uh, so a lot of that is the public cloud. And then there's the, obviously the data protection, integrity, and security aspects of this well. So from end to end, the data lifecycle, we're seeking to help facilitate addressing that. So our top priorities are transforming the entire data services experience uh, to make it consumable as a subscription service, whether that's on-premises uh, data service platforms or cloud-based uh, data service infrastructure, application services, et cetera. 
and then make the implementation and utilization of those services uh, invisible and infinite. Uh, we want customers basically to be, if we're doing our jobs well, we literally disappear into the IT infrastructure fabric. They don't even know it's there. The data just is there. It's performant. The applications run well. And the idea, uh, you know, we know we're successful in this endeavor when agencies are simply able to focus on application service delivery and integration and innovation and simply assume that that can be implemented as a matter of course, regardless of whether that data is on-premises or in, hosted in another infrastructure. And the second fundamental thing, because we work with data, um, is uh, on hardening the security of these data services in the infrastructure appliances and the online services. So this is a huge, for us, whole of corporate effort to ensure we can deliver those capabilities uh, to our customers, um, those services that they need to ensure the integrity of their systems and their data, to ensure statutory and regulatory compliance, uh, but most importantly, without having to wrestle the infrastructure into submission to make it happen. You know, from our perspective, and we've proven this over and over again, and it's been seen everywhere, uh, when security is built in, uh, into the, the, the platforms and services that are procured, it is tremendously more efficient and more effective than when it has to be bolted on afterwards. So the standards are out there. The government publishes them freely and openly. We know what, what our building code is. So the move for us is to actually start engineering to that code to make it much easier for us to obtain the necessary certification and therefore make it a lot simpler and more efficient for our customers to consume it. And it's not Amen. Just needs to be hardened and needs to be there uh, right. all the time. Uh, makes it right. a lot of sense. So those, uh, are, those are our biggest initiatives for the next couple of years. Uh, Rocky, uh, how about at Department of Energy? I know you've got a whole building full of priorities over there. Give us your top two. Top, I think, goes without saying making sure people can continue to work where they're safe, right? So wherever, they, wherever that is, continue to work. Um, the second one, you know, a little bit different, is uh, we want to make sure that we are better protecting our control systems across the department, mm. right? We've done a great job on IT. Um, well, we constantly are doing a good job on IT and we've got a good focus on that. But how do we look at OT and control systems? Um, not just from, I talked about the PMA earlier, the power marketing, but uh, we have our scientific user facilities. We have construction sites. We have, we have control systems all across the department and we want to uh, continue to improve uh, our security of those systems. So the big, the big ones are making sure people can work wherever they want to work control system security, and then all of that, kind of the fundamental of all of that is uh, continue to innovate, right? That culture of innovation and reducing that friction so, so people can innovate. So uh, those are kind of the top two or three. Jim, how about at Veterans Affairs? Um, give us the top two that are right on the, uh, in the top of the job jar for you guys. Uh, sure, Luke. And, and of course, all of these are aligned to our, our, our business and mission essential functions, uh, you know, across our diversified line of of health benefits, memorial services, and other uh, ancillary activities. You know, the, the first, the, the two that I'll mention here would be a continuation of our digital transformation. And again, we didn't, uh, you know, we talked about a lot of successes, but certainly there were some uh, things inside the pandemic that reveal weaknesses, some known, some unknown. Uh, so continuing our digital transformation journey, a lot of that around data, right? It's one of the reasons we're called the Office of Information and Technology at VA. We leverage the power of information through our corporate data warehouse. You know, I did, we didn't have a chance to mention it, but 
uh, you know, uh, our national surveillance tool really provided VHA with that single source of truth across the entire integrated healthcare systems to inform the decisions of the leadership throughout and to share it really with the COVID task force as well as, as one of the uh, leading healthcare agencies in the department, in the uh, federal government. Um, certainly our digital experience, you know, Nick talked about his experience as a veteran. You're going to see more and more uh, the app economy coming to VA around VA.gov. Uh, you know, especially our, our older veterans, they want to meet. They want to meet on those digital channels on mobile and whatever. We will accelerate that. Uh, I talk a lot. I'll talk about it in our town hall this morning here in Florida. Is tech is disrupting our industry partners? It's disrupting us, right? But it's disrupting us in a good way. I think we've mentioned it on the call here. A lot of opportunities for automation. A lot of opportunities for application performance monitoring, IT service management. Uh, you know, using emerging tech around artificial intelligence and machine language. So again, we're, you know, we're going to look to to take advantage of that disruption and, and, and get more efficient while we need more resources as well. Uh, Maria mentioned workforce, doubling down on workforce. I know there's really great work in the CIO Council with that infrastructure, software, you know, all, all that stuff in our digital transformation. The, the other one I'd mention here as a priority is and again, I was really pleased from a from a vendor partnership standpoint during the pandemic. Uh, you know, uh, the the Defense Production Act is, is is a bit of a Cold War relic, and we use that as an, as a hot wash item in the in the CIO Council. In a pandemic, we really kind of didn't have the priority that uh, technology and that healthcare agencies needed to to service it. I didn't uh, mention earlier that the VA, in the time of a national emergency, VHA principally becomes the national healthcare system of record because of its presence throughout the country. So again, I know we've got some work there, but our vendor partners absolutely stepped up. I did dozens uh, in March and April of vendor engagements with C-suite leaders. Uh, I, I can't say enough about their uh, capability, even in a disrupted supply chain environment, to step up with us, uh, you know, scrum on some really wicked problems, uh, solve fast, and provide the capabilities uh, that our industry partners really have to do in order for us to continue to do what we do. So more on that, you know, we've got almost $2 billion of tech spend annually, uh, $28 billion in the department. So can't say enough about the importance of having that strong vendor partnership. Karen, how about over Department of Homeland Security? Top two priorities for you, uh, as, you uh, as you work through the next year over there. So I echo what my colleagues have talked about, about returning to work safely, that that is the top priority of the department overall. But I'm gonna lump a lot of things into one priority, which is we can't miss a beat on any of the initiatives that we have underway, like EIS transformation, uh, the DECO procurement, all of those things that we have to do. But I am gonna go a little bit back to the roots for the second priority because I don't wanna re-echo a lot of the other pieces, which is the chief information officer here at the Department of Homeland Security, and I'm sure with uh, the other departments, is I'm also the chief risk officer. And mm -hmm. so really looking at risk management um, to use the strategic use of information. As you know, we have many information holdings throughout the department and making sure that those are available for mission space. We manage 7.2 or $7.4 billion of IT investment. So how do you do that um, with an ever-changing risk uh, 
landscape. So I'm going to throw in there supply chain risk management because that does involve all our industry partners. And that is something that we are very focused on with our major acquisitions going forward. And how are we going to manage that supply chain risk, the manufacturing, the advanced manufacturing, knowing that CBP is installing the equipment that they need to install that is not opening up a threat vector for our nation state adversaries. So supply chain risk management, integration with uh, FedRAMP on all of these things so that we can take advantage of what our industry partners are doing while we are managing the risk for the department. Maria, you're sitting at sort of the, uh, the, uh, the uh, across the interagency, right, looking at a lot of different moving parts here. Um, a whole bunch of priorities that you all have already knocked off, a whole bunch more to go. Give us the top two. Take us home here on uh, sort of what, what, as an aggregate, what are the top two priorities coming out of the White House these days? Yeah, Luke, uh, you know, that list is a mile long, like you said. You know, lots of, of things in play, lots executing right now. But I, I would say first, you know, the federal government has to continue its transformation, the digital transformation my colleagues talked about. Um, and and that, that sustained IT modernization, right? The, gov the government has to be digital, nimble, resilient, secure. And we talked about AI and other technologies. In that digital transformation, we have to, to keep, keep on, keep on with that because it's not a one-off activity. And that requires sustained long-term investments. And, and really the government has to adopt new techniques, technologies, approaches, and it, and it also requires us to have a, a foster that culture that embraces the risk even that you know, Karen talked about, right? We have to embrace risk to some degree and agile adoption and really encourages innovation and not just in technology, but everything else like acquisition, right? That digital delivery is a necessity for our, our customers, whether they're internal or external, the American public. And, and second, I think I wanna highlight that that large modernization projects take time, funding, flexibility to manage well. And I think, you know, as a priority, this is where, you know, Congress can help, you know, overly restrictive deadlines, one-year funding, they create risk and uncertainty in a lot of the programs and projects across the federal government. You know, we've got funding flexibilities like the TMF and the working capital funds, but we really need to look at that sustained long-term modernization, not just that digital transformation I talked about first, mm -hmm. but really that sustainment and having that funding and flexibility to really drive the long-term modernization and the transformation that we need. Again, that multi-year funding to sustain that modernization, that, that remains and we really need to, to continue to drive in that direction. I just want to say on behalf of uh... Uh, every uh, every person in this country. I just want to thank every one of you. You're absolutely warriors. Your your employers are warriors. You know, uh, if people could see the things that you all do behind the scenes, I'm sure they'd just be blown away. So I'm really happy to provide this platform uh, that you all can express some of these capabilities uh, and get it out there so people can uh, can understand it and appreciate it. Um, I'd also like to thank the sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network.
Thank you for listening to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.